0: In this podcast, Robbie Kalman Baxter, the author of Membership Economy, talks about the Forever Transaction. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Work 2.0 Podcast. Today we have an interesting guest. So let me talk about our our today's guest, Robbie Kalman Baxter. She is a best-selling author, speaker, consultant with more than 20 years of experience providing strategic business advice to major organizations, including Netflix, Wall Street Journal, Electronic Arts. In the past 10 years, uh, her company Peninsula Strategies has advised over 100 organizations on subscription and growth strategy. Um, her first book, The Membership Economy, was an international bestseller. Her new book, The Forever Transaction, was released in April this this year. It has been described as a true game changer, uh, taking readers through every step um, of the subscription business process from initial startup um, or testing to a new model, to scaling the operations for a long-term growth and sustainability to revamp culture. uh, So everyone works together to optimize customer lifetime value. And for, for learning more, you can go to uh, Robbie's website it's uh and I'll put the link on the description as well for our listeners and viewers to to check out. With that, uh welcome to the podcast, Robbie.
1: Oh thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So uh,
0: by the way, amazing book. I think I, I and, and i I would love to get on the on, on the meat of the stuff, but before that let's 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 talk about the shell first. Let's talk about your journey, like what brought you to this point, if you can walk us through your professional journey, that will be that will be amazing.
1: Sure. Well, you know, um, prior to going to um, business school, I had been a strategy consultant and really enjoyed that kind of work. And after business school, uh, I worked in product marketing for five years. And um, I got laid off when I was on maternity leave with my second child. And at that point which of course is totally legal and it's, it's, a, it's a disappointment, but it was completely you know, legal and a reasonable thing for the company to do. Um, but it left me in a place of saying, I wanna be in control of my own career, especially while I have small children. So I went back to consulting, uh, but instead of going to a big firm, I had been with Booz Allen and Hamilton, I went out on my own so I could have complete control. When you're an independent consultant, really the only person you have to answer to is your client right? And everything else is, you know, everything is up to you and the client on how you structure it, how many hours you work, when you work. So I started doing that with a very short-term focus, but I soon realized that this could be the perfect career structure for me, and that if I wanted to be a consultant, I really needed to have an area of expertise. And at the time, uh, I guess my fifth client was Netflix, and I fell in love with their business model, and I was you know, thinking about what is an area that I can go dig deeper in and become an expert on as a consultant that is big enough to be interesting and juicy for, at the time I was thinking at least five years, and at the same time is narrow enough that I could credibly become an expert. Uh, You know, it's hard to become an expert on strategy or marketing in a couple of years, but, you know, subscriptions, I thought I could do that. And as I was falling in love with this business model, a lot of other people were too. And I started to move all of my work towards the businesses that used what I came to call a membership mindset, businesses focused on the long-term relationship with the customer, using subscription pricing, using digital communities, using uh, new metrics uh, like churn and monthly recurring revenue and uh, lifetime customer value. And so I've been focused on that for quite a while. Um, But even though I was seeing this massive transformation and seeing the potential of these ideas to transform virtually any kind of business, a lot of executives weren't seeing it. They weren't seeing what I was seeing. So I wrote my first book, The Membership Economy, to share what I was seeing and why it was so powerful. Five years later, I don't have to explain to anybody why subscription models are powerful. Uh, but what is happening is people are struggling with the how. So the what and why everybody gets it. The how is another story, and that's why I wrote the Forever Transaction.
0: Interesting, um, uh, beautiful journey. So um, t- talk to us about Peninsula Strategies. Like, what what does your consulting come like? What does this um, your your company do, and what do you help business? It-
1: yeah, for the last 20 years, most of the time, I've been helping companies build a forever transaction with the people they serve. So sometimes that's uh, B2B, SaaS companies, uh, you know, trying to build long-term revenue. Sometimes it's with, you know, consumer content organizations, streaming video, audio, podcast, books, learning, Sometimes it's nonprofits, professional associations, but all of them are trying to deepen the relationship they have with their customer and reimagine not just the marketing um, and the pricing of their value, but also how they package it. What is the product itself? And what kind of culture do they need to have in their organization? And what kinds of people do they need to have in their organization in order to successfully deliver? On this new kind of business model, so that's what we do at Peninsula Strategies.
0: Interesting. No, I think that's that's fascinating, and um, I think why so I'm excited for this conversation. I think why I was so excited was uh, we never had um, a guest um, to talk about subscription economy or the membership economy, and we are seeing it explode. Um, and I think there's I think um, being on the other other end of this conversation, like being on the on the, on the consumer end of Of these memberships, and I think I'm always fascinated by how it has transformed the business model, right? So I think um, compared to okay, I see a shiny object, I know what how to price it, I just pick it up, I exactly know what to expect out of this, or maybe not, but at least I know what the value and that's no string attached um, uh, phenomena. Like from from your vantage point, what do you think are the good and the bad of getting into the membership business side of the business from the consumer end I, like the, from the business um, end the value is very clear, right so but let's let's first talk about the the consumer side like what what do you what has what have you seen from the experience point of view?
1: Yeah well it's it's interesting because a lot of times you know as we talked about, everybody wants to do subscription. So all of these companies come to me and say, we want to do subscription because we want to get more recurring revenue <laughs> And then I'll say to them, okay, great. That is a great thing to want. What's in it for your customers? Why do they? Why are they going to benefit from subscriptions? Why are they going to switch to subscription pricing or accept being forced to switch by you? And they say, uh, I don't know. I mean, kind of blank, blank stares, deer in headlight look. And that's a big problem because when it works well, the whole point of a membership mindset and subscription pricing is that... The customer is saying, I can relax with this vendor because they're going to solve my problem on an ongoing basis. This problem isn't going away. And this company is going to continue to evolve their offering at a fixed price to solve my problem. So if my problem is like a gym problem, like I want to be healthy, I want to get and stay healthy, right? 15 years ago, the gym might've had totally different equipment and totally different fitness classes than today, but the goal is still the same. They continue to improve the offering, but the, but the promise remains the same. So theoretically that's great for the consumer, right? If, Mm -hmm. if you help me, uh, you know, get and stay fit, or you help me thrive in my career, or you help me always look my best. Um, like what many of the subscription boxes for clothing, those are all goals that people have, where they would just love to be able to have somebody else make sure that that goal is being achieved. The, the problem comes, and I think this is what you're alluding to, when there's not a product market fit, when you feel like you're being forced to subscribe to something that you'd rather access with a different pricing structure. Maybe you want to buy it by your, by the usage, or maybe you want to own it outright, um, you know, and you feel like, I'm being forced to buy this bundle of services that is not what I would have chosen and is not what serves my needs. That's the biggest problem with subscriptions. And frankly, it's what's driving a lot of the subscription fatigue that many of us are feeling. This sense of, I'm being forced to buy something that I don't need, or I'm buying more than I need, and I'm not using it, even if it's great, like, you know, a lot of magazines right you know the new yorker problem like they pile up and i don't read them and then i feel bad about myself um or the worst thing that these companies do is they actually go so far as to hide the cancel button right mm-hmm. they make it really you know you can you can sign up anytime online you know 24 hours a day but if you want to cancel you have to call us and we're open only open on tuesdays uh, between four and seven right? And, um, that's what a lot of businesses do. And that's why I think subscriptions sometimes get a bad rap.
0: We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. And, and um, from your vantage point, um, what are some of the um, some of the businesses or, or some of the business models that are not ripe for or that are not meant for, as you rightly said, right said, product market fit for something like a membership or or the subscription model?
1: Yeah. So so if your business depends on sales and marketing, on relationships with your customers or the people you serve, then there's a pretty great chance that a membership mindset is going to lead you to a better business model that probably can justify subscription pricing. On the other hand, if your business does not need sales or marketing um, because you have a geographic advantage, like you're the last gas for 100 miles, or you have a regulatory advantage, you're the only one that's allowed to sell what you sell, or you have a patent advantage, you have the medicine and no one else is allowed to make it, you don't really have to care that much about how you treat your customers or developing a relationship with them because you'll make money regardless. But if your customers have choice and if you benefit from them choosing you, not just once, but on a repeated predictable basis, then this model can work with you no matter how small your business is, uh, no matter how old your business is, no matter how new your business is
0: interesting and uh, i think one thing i was um, thinking about uh, about your journey so you have you have been here a while so um, and and the subscription or the membership economy is just recently coming in and and so in a way we we can safely assume that you are one of the one of the early ones sort of uh, speaking out about the fascinating in this this economy and i think how the industry has quickly uh, transformed into using these membership models and now like almost every business if you don't see a substantial focus towards converting into SaaS or or this membership concept it's 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 unheard of so what have what what have you seen from your journey being one of the early uh, sort of uh, um, whisperer to uh, seeing the industry now come to this what you have been what you have been talking about what what are some of the things that you could share
1: yeah I mean, the 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 space for subscription pricing has exploded. And as you point out, um, you know virtually every business is thinking about this if they haven't already launched a subscription. And this is including Burger King has a coffee subscription. Caterpillar uh, has publicly said that in the next five years, they'd like to move away from buying or selling their heavy equipment outright to having people subscribe to access it. Um, Professional services firms are using subscription. So everybody is moving towards subscription. So I'm seeing an increasing level of sophistication, um, both among companies that understand how subscription might work in their business model and on people, consumers, whether they're buying on their own behalf or whether they're buying on behalf of their company. much more sophisticated about understanding subscription pricing. I mean, I remember when I was first starting out in this space, sometimes uh, companies weren't set up, either companies weren't set up for recurring revenue payments, or consumers didn't trust companies to give them the credit card for automatic deductions. So, you know, we've come a long way. Right now, you know, it's never been easier to launch a subscription business. Um, Solopreneurs have subscription revenue. So that's that's a huge, a huge change. Um, and of course, with that change, there's a lot of bad actors who are creating subscriptions from whatever, whatever products and services they already had and just slapping some subscription pricing on that bundle of offerings without really thinking about the implications across the organization, sales, marketing, product development, support, finance, HR everybody's role changes when you move to a subscription model and i think a lot of organizations haven't really figured that out
0: interesting so um when someone reaches out to you uh, for for getting in this this journey of converting their business model like what is a typical stage that these guys are in when when they when they reach out to you saying okay help us uh, transform into this and and yeah just just talk about like when do you see these businesses really knocking on your door saying, okay, help us?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, and, uh, you know, I sort of see, see three big cases. Well, so there's, you know, in, in, in one level, you know, there's, there's three stages of maturity, and that's how I structured the forever transaction. Um, the first stage is launch. Uh, second phase, and that's when you're just starting out, whether you're an entrepreneur starting a new business, or you're an entrepreneur building something different inside a big company. Um, second phase is scaling. So you've got your product market fit, you know who your best customer is, you know what the promises you're making to them, and you have that initial product that solves that problem. And now you need to kind of put fuel on the fire. So scaling um, is the second set of problems, which is, okay, we have this little business model that works, but it's very manual and you know we know that we could do more if we were investing more in marketing if we had a bigger team if we had a you know a more sophisticated technology footprint to support what we're doing uh, if we were building a culture that supported this kind of mindset and so that's the second phase of the book and that's the second big challenge is how do we scale and then the last group of customers come to me because their model used to work and it's not working so well now. So these are the newspapers and the gyms and the professional associations and the country clubs where they say people used to join and stay for a long time and we had a great model. And today it's not working like it used to work. And so those problems are like figuring out why do people join and stay but nobody knew is joining? Um, Or why are people leaving at a more rapid pace than they used to? Or why are our customers all demanding features that they used to be okay not having? And so there's a third bucket of challenges that organizations face when I'm kind of, you know, and I spend a lot of time in the trenches with companies doing subscription and really trying to figure out what's not working. And so that's that third big group of how do you maintain a leadership position when you've been successful in memberships for too long?
0: Interesting. And what are some of the misconceptions that, 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 that you see um businesses have when it comes to their understanding of uh, membership or, or subscription? Like what are, what are some of those misunderstandings that businesses think?
1: I think the biggest misunderstandings, I mean, they vary across each of those phases. So in the early phases, I think a lot of organizations underestimate what it takes um, to create a subscription. Uh, they think we'll just put some things together and if we can make an argument that they belong together, people will buy the argument. So, uh, you know, I have, a, you know, I have a pen, I have a book, uh, you know, I have a bag. Uh, the pen is worth ten dollars, the book is worth fifteen dollars, the bag is worth three dollars. So if I charge twelve dollars for that, people are going to be thrilled. But maybe the book is an old book that's no longer relevant, and maybe what's in the bag is stuff that you don't want. Uh, maybe you're not going to buy it, and so. Uh, I think a big problem is not having product market fit or a unique problem in subscriptions is you have product market fit for acquisition. So in other words, your pitch, your your headline benefit is big enough to get people to join, but once they start using your product, they don't like it. And so they cancel or they never use it. And so they cancel because you don't have engagement benefits or retention benefits. So people are joining like crazy and then leaving right away. So those are some of the big early problems. I think in the scaling phase, um, a big issue is they don't, the organization doesn't invest in operationalizing what they've learned. They're not, they don't realize like we need to think about a new tech footprint. We need to think about the right metrics. We need to think about the right culture. Um, They're so focused on the product. They're so focused on the market. And, you know, this is the phase where the operational team really comes into play, um, the uh, administrative part of the organization. And then I think in the last phase, the biggest misconception is that by taking care of today's members, you will never have a problem. And I always say you have to be member-centric and listen to your members, but it's an orchestra. It's not a soloist. So it's not just about listening to today's loudest members it's about also you know listening to the people that are considering joining your organization tomorrow's members and the people that are lapsed members the ones that used to be members but canceled why why did that happen and then the last group is you know what about people that you made the offer to and they chose something else what happened to them and if you listen to all of those groups you're much more likely to stay on the on the uh, good path of growth and evolution but a lot of organizations, I think, get kind of um, complacent and lazy. And what happens is when you have your consumer hat on and you're considering alternatives, you're very critical. You're very analytical. You know what the options are and you're prioritizing what you value. Once you become a member, unless that company really does something bad, you're probably not looking for alternatives. Like once you join a gym, you don't go to other gyms. Once you... You know, get a subscription to a newspaper. You're probably not reading other newspapers. So you might not even know how old-fashioned or worn down or tired the subscription you're paying for is because you're not in consumer mode anymore. But tomorrow's members who are in consumer mode can see your offering for what it is. And I think a lot of longtime organizations, the big problem, the big mistake that they make, is that they say our members love our our offering. Our members love getting things faxed to them. Our members love print. They hate digital, right? But if you're just starting out and you're looking for, let's say, a training program for your company, right? And they don't have a digital component, right? You're not gonna choose it. Now, if you've been using it for 25 years and everybody on your team has been using it for 25 years and everybody's used to it, you might not cancel and look for something else. But if you're just making this decision and this buying decision right now, you're going to judge them a lot more harshly.
0: We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. Wow. So, um, and thank you, thank you for sharing that. So, from from your vantage point, who are um, who are the businesses that are ripe for 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 sort of transforming into, say, like they they know they are ripe for transforming uh, for uh, subscription or membership based pricing, and what do you think from 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 your point?
1: Well, right now, you know, we're we're talking in the fall of twenty twenty, and I think right now what's happening is uh, COVID is accelerating the transformation of many, many businesses to subscription, to digital and to subscription. Um, And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that uh, subscription businesses have proven to be more resilient than their transactional and episodic peers. Uh, That's because subscription businesses are designed for an ongoing relationship. They're opt out, not opt in. Uh, Once you join, you make it a habit and you're not likely to change your habits unless you're forced to. Um, The other thing about subscriptions um, is a lot of them are digital. And so a lot of companies are being forced to rethink their forever promise and how they deliver on that. So if my forever promise is I will uh, teach you how to be a leader, I'm teaching your company leadership skills, let's say, and I've done that through live trainings and now I can't do live trainings in person in my beautiful facility in Hawaii. Um, you know, I'm gonna lose my customers if I can't figure out a way to deliver on that same goal, on that same promise, but without with social distancing. So I'm being forced to really think hard about how I deliver it. And I've probably had it on a back burner for several years. I know I need to do it, but suddenly it becomes front-burnered because otherwise I'm gonna lose my customers. And then the last thing that's kind of driving this transformation is the consumer themselves, which is, you know, I am forced to adopt new habits because COVID is preventing me from doing things the way I've already, always done them, right? I can't go to work anymore, so I'm going to use Zoom. And even though I don't like using screens, I'm going to figure it out, right? Uh, my mom who's in her seventies and, you know, doesn't really change her habits very often. Right. Most days she used to go, you know, go to the grocery store in the morning, then go to her yoga class. And then later in the day, maybe go to a book club or have dinner with a friend. uh, She and my dad can't do any of those things anymore. So now what she does, you know, in very short order, she signed up for Instacart. She started using Amazon, whatever the Amazon delivery of Whole Foods was. Um, So she subscribes there. She is. um doing streaming yoga classes in her bathroom. She um, does Bikram yoga, so she has the space heater and the shower with the steam and the electric blanket on the floor so that the room gets really hot, and then she streams the class, and she's socializing over Zoom, so she's been forced to change all of her habits. So You have a moment right now. Um, if you were ever thinking about changing things, your customers are going to be receptive to it right now and they're looking for new ways to do things. So we have a window, we have a moment where we can, you know, quickly move our business model toward subscription, toward digital, toward a new way of interacting with the people we serve.
0: I think that's um, fascinating. I think that's, that's nicely put. So if if you think from a uh, business point of view, right, it's a cultural change. I think you, you said many times, okay, so, um, we are changing, yeah, this is transformative, this is like some businesses, though, they don't, they don't easily transform or they, so when you, when you said deal with the business, how do you, um, how do you console them or how do you um, work with them that it's a, it, that um, it's a cultural change or, or how do you tackle the cultural part of, because that that's the thickest layer that is almost Sort of restricting any business to like dissing that this phenomena will not work, and instead of embracing it as 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 the future, like how do you what what are what are some of the best practices that you have seen in your journey that has worked?
1: Yeah. So what usually happens? Um, this is so we're talking about an organization that is episodic and transactional. Um, they want to experiment with subscriptions, so they take a small team and put them over in the corner, and that team. You know, iterates and iterates and innovates and innovates until they come up with a subscription model that's working. And then the CEO and the board say, wow, that's amazing. That's our future. Let's move it from the corner into the center of our organization. Right. And it's at that moment, usually, where cultural change becomes really important because the rest of the organization, um, first of all, they don't understand why the company is moving to subscription. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't make sense because short-term subscription is going to make less money than a transaction right if i buy a car i'm going to spend a lot more in that transaction than if i subscribe to a car in that first transaction right so if i'm the person that's responsible for selling lamborghinis and suddenly there's a subscription to uh, a range of lamborghinis i'm not going to even understand why we're doing that second so that's kind of just understanding second issue is I might be nervous about my own career because I'm a big game hunter. I sell to people who have lots of money so they can buy a Lamborghini. Suddenly, sales is going to look more like farming and less like hunting, right? Where I'm going to find somebody who's going to subscribe for a really long time. That's not my skill area. The deals are much smaller. I can see the writing on the wall. I'm not going to get the same kind of commissions for bringing in a subscriber as I used to for bringing in a buyer. So I think people are going to push back because they're afraid of what it means for their job. Um, and um, and then I think there's some actual skills that the company might not have. Uh, so for example, uh, you need, you know, let's, say, let's take customer support. Um, in, an, in an episodic or transactional business, it, there's often a function called customer support and their job is to fix things that are broken. You know, you call and complain and say, this isn't working as I expected. And the customer support person either tries to fix it for you or sends you a new one or gives you your money back and gets you off the phone as quickly as possible. In a membership economy, you don't wanna wait till they complain because probably when they complain, the complaint will come with a cancellation. Mm -hmm. You wanna make sure they're getting the value that they paid for from the moment they buy, and you want them to establish habits that will keep them for a long time. That's a very different skill set for your your support team, right? It's a much more um, consultative, Uh, experience. It's much closer to account management. It's much closer to professional services. It's much closer to sales and marketing. So you need, sometimes you need a different person. Sometimes you need different training for that person. Uh, But there's a lot of these, this cultural change. And then from a core perspective, you want the whole organization to be looking at the long term and saying, how are we going to help our customer achieve their goal? And how do we continue to evolve our offerings, not just our products, but our services and our delivery so that they better align with the needs of the customer. So that also changes, let's say, the the way you even build your own products, right? Instead of wanting to build a new product every 18 months that drives people to upgrade, you want people to kind of relax into an ongoing experience. So you want to make small changes over time to keep them. And you don't want to do anything too big to kind of make them reconsider their buying decision. So it really is a very dramatic transformation. And so the first thing you want to do is be aware of those challenges. And then the second thing you want to do is really map out a cultural transformation rollout, right? A strategy, um, taking into account what the impact of the subscription pricing is going to be on the way people do their jobs
0: we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website first dot ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast interesting no i think so uh, one thing that i was i was thinking about when, when you were talking about the struggles of of businesses in adopting to these these business models so i remember there's a local company in Boston. Um, I think it's a five-six years ago. I was talking to one of their one of their financial chiefs, and and he was getting paranoid on the fact that there was a massive push in in exploring the the SaaS model or the subscription model for that business, and they were saying that we will definitely see a dip in our revenue. We would definitely see um uh, our our customer expect like the expectation we have uh, cul- sort of cultured our customers and their expectations last like 20 30 years and and now we are asking them to now shift the um, or at least we are shifting their mindset of because they they maintain our quality our standard with with that and pricing is, a, is is an important part of 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 the brand perception that they've created so it it just it's just uh, shake us to our core and they I think I, I remember they end up buying a small company who are subscription based to learn from them yep. and, and 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 sort of uh, uh, understand their business model and see how they can integrate that and learn from that, because they were having a lot of difficulty internally, sort of uh, grappling this or uh, converting this fact that we can be a subscription-based business. So, from from your vantage point, when you deal with businesses uh, coming coming to you, like how do you? Uh, what are some of the some of the tricks that you have seen businesses you do to? basically understand and get on the other side quickly or or painlessly. Like what are some of the things that you have seen?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so one thing I was just thinking I can offer to your listeners um is the chapter in my book that's on cultural transformation. I'll give you the link and we can we can offer that to your to your listeners in your show notes, um, which gets into a little more detail. But you know, on a high level, I think what the company can do when they're making this transformation is First of all, to set expectations. Um, as you point out, there's kind of this uh, open fish, you know, the fish, they call it mm. swallowing the fish. I think JB Woods calls it that, um, with this idea being that for some period of time your costs are gonna go, you know, your costs are gonna go up and your sales are gonna go down. And eventually they'll they'll come back together, but you need to be patient and you need to expect that. So you need to advise your investors, your stakeholders, your shareholders to expect that. Uh, You also need to spend a lot of time helping your employees understand the broader context of why this change is happening and the power of subscription revenue on, you know, recurring revenue, predictable revenue, the ability to know your customer better, uh, and the ability to get a higher market valuation so that your team understands conceptually why you're doing it. And then to get down to the level of what does it mean for me in my job, Uh, With each employee so that they really understand what's going to change And then I think a third thing is to be willing for some people to not make that transformation Uh, if you're a big game hunting salesperson and you're really good at selling seven-figure software Site licenses and suddenly your company is doing Mostly subscriptions at five figures each month uh, You might say this maybe isn't the place for me anymore. And so it's also important to just as a leadership team understand what might happen. This is a big change um, and you really have to you know, kind of step by step, You know, why are we doing this? What's our big vision? What is this company gonna look like when we move to, to subscriptions and why is it gonna be better for, for the customer, for the company, for the shareholder, for the employees? And what is our first step? And why is that our first step? And what does that mean for each person? I think doing those things those very basic blocking and tackling steps is going to massively increase the likelihood of the transformation taking hold rapidly.
0: I think that's um absolutely and, and that let's uh, I think you brought up so that's the book uh, friends by the way excellent book um so um, <laughs> I'll be, one thing that's that that I find fascinating um in this book and I and we were talking it before before our um, our conversation started it's it's very tactical, like it's stepwise yeah. process. Like it's it's from start to end. I think it's it's if I need to execute a strategy, this is actually this is pretty nicely done. Um, Thank you. I I'm am I was grappling with the fact that why just don't call it a guide uh, for pricing strategy, like why the forever transaction, like why such a cryptic title? Because this this book's it, it's it's it is what it is. It just tells you how to how to sort of what are, what to expect at which stage and how, what are some of the business models that are running what are some of the case studies that have gone through those two? i think it's nicely done so yeah so how do you come up with the title
1: <laughs> well you know it's not you know it's it's not quite the you know the subscription model guidebook. um although i did think about titles like that but i i felt like the book was a little bit more strategic still i mean it is a how-to but it really i really focused on frameworks it's less of like a workbook and more of a an idea book and a conceptual like understanding of why you do it and you know if you look at this book my first one it's mm. the membership economy and then it says find your super users master the forever transaction and build recurring revenue and so i pulled master the forever transaction that was the that was the part that people found interesting in the first title and i think that's the piece that people want i didn't want people to get hung up on subscription pricing which to me as you said is very tactical Mm. it's just a pricing decision it's not you you can't say my like companies sometimes try this but it doesn't work is to say our strategy is subscription right Mm. that is not a strategy that's a price Mm. pricing structure right it's like our strategy is pricing you know like Mm. um and it's all of the other pieces of the model that have to come together in order for you to be able to justify subscription pricing. So you can have a forever transaction without even having subscription pricing. For example, um, Apple, uh, you know, until very recently did not have subscription pricing. They only sold hardware, right? Mm -hmm. And then they maybe they took a percentage of other people's software revenue uh, and subscription revenue, but they were really uh, much more of a, you know, buy it outright kind of a company, episodic purchasing, but we all know that when you walk into an Apple store and you buy a phone, you're probably going to also buy your computer there and your AirPods and uh, your your covers and uh, your mouse and everything else you need because Apple is completely optimized around a forever transaction, which is something like, if you stick with our products, they're all going to work seamlessly together in the most elegant and beautifully designed way. And so even though they didn't sell on subscription, there was that promise. And we all know those Apple people who are like, whatever I need to buy, I just go to the Apple store and ask them what to get. If they don't sell it, like they don't sell printers, what, what printer should I buy? What is the best printer to buy that goes with your computers, right? Cause that's what I'm buying. Whatever Apple tells me, cause I'm an Apple person. I am a member. I have a forever transaction with them. I do not consider alternatives. I start with them. So that's really why I like this term forever transaction, putting those two words together. How do you do that?
0: That's, that's pretty clever.
1: And um, so why write this book? I wrote this book. To help people who are struggling, I was getting so many calls from people who would say, "Okay, I believed you. You know, I read Membership Economy, but here's my problem. You know, I started down this path, and you know, boom, into the rat holes. Very specific problem, right? Uh, people are subscribing, um, they're joining, but they're canceling really fast. People are subscribing and staying for six months, and then they're canceling like clockwork. And I want them to stay longer. Uh, people used to subscribe, and they won't subscribe anymore." Uh, I'm, I'm having you know all the cultural stuff like my first book I really didn't talk about culture at all, but I was seeing it all the time that you know this isn't gonna work if The people doing the work aren't bought in and so you know all of these things I was like I have to write another book. It started by me saying I have a lot to say I have a lot more to say since the first book came out and maybe that was just gonna be like a v2 you know the new and improved membership economy but it ended up being a completely different book, as you pointed out. It's really focused on the how of building a subscription model. And it really gets in, you know, I always say like, I'm in the trenches every day working with companies and tinkering with business models. And that's really what I'm trying to help people do in this book.
0: Interesting. And um, one more thing. So when I was reading this book, right? So I, I, I was also um, trying to figure out the ideal reader for the uh, for the book, because I at some point I was just down the trenches doing things, understanding the business model use cases on the other th- on the other side, like looking at as you said, right, you said the fish charts um, of. Um, so when you were writing this book, what is, who is the, who is the ideal reader that that you wrote it for?
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty. I mean, it ended up being broader than I thought, but I, I would say that this is a book. If your company is doing subscription or thinking about it, there's some value for you here. And, and you may not need to read, like the feedback I've gotten on the book and, you know, when you read the reviews on Amazon, and by the way, if you read the book, please write a review on Amazon for any book that you like, because it means a lot to the authors um, and it helps people find the books. But what I was reading in the early reviews on this book um, was that a lot of people aren't reading the whole book. They're going right to the section that they're responsible for. and And if you look at the intro to the book, I actually encourage people to do that, to say, look, if you want to read the book from start to end, great. Hopefully it all Um, flows. But it also, every chapter stands alone and all three sections stand alone. So if you're like, I'm in this scaling process, you know, we've had this model for a while and my job is to make it core to the company. Maybe you want to focus on the second section. Um, Or if you're saying, look, you know, my job, I'm customer success. Um, My job is to make sure that once a new customer signs up, that they engage and make our products a habit and stay for a long time. You know, there's certain chapters that are really focused on the onboarding process, on the relationship building process, and maybe that's for you. Um, If you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, you might want to read it all the way through so that you have a framework in your mind of what to expect along the way so i'm hoping that this book is this book seems to be more useful for teams to read together Um, whereas the first book i felt like it was very much a ceo or investor airplane book Mm. right you just read it on the plane because it's a really important new idea whereas this book is really for teams to read together
0: interesting and and um, um from your vantage point how have you like what are what are some of the challenges that you see in, in today's adoption of this subscription or or this membership economy or like what are some of the challenges that you that that you see in the model that businesses need to basically be aware of or or tackle when it comes to their the, when they're trying to explore this opportunity
1: yeah so so I think the biggest thing now and you know I'm a subscription person so I almost can't believe I'm saying this but you know subscription isn't for everybody and it isn't a panacea. Um, you can't just hit all your goals by moving to subscription. It's really about aligning the value you create with your customer's needs so that there's more value to capture on both sides, right? If if I get more value, if I, the company, get more value and you, the customer, get more value too, right? That's good for both of us. So that's why a subscription model works. But as we talked about with, when we were talking about subscription fatigue, it's not the perfect solution for everybody. Um, and one good example, I think from my first book of when it doesn't work for everybody is, you know, most of us know the story, most, most people that are interested in subscription know the story of Adobe. Uh, and Adobe, how they moved from you know, effectively boxed software that you owned at a fixed price and periodically would buy the newest version of it to Adobe Creative Cloud, which you subscribe to. And something that is really interesting about this is that, and they knew this when they were, when they were preparing for this launch and this move to a new model, was that while the new offering was really great for their target customer um, because it had more features, it was more suitable for collaboration across a sophisticated team of marketers and designers. Um, you know, it was a great product if you worked in an agency or you worked in a big marketing department because you didn't care that it cost you more because Mm. A, somebody else, your boss was paying for it. And B, it was about your livelihood. So, you know, if you have, if a better tool can help you produce better results, the cost of that tool is very small compared to the value of your salary and your bonus. But even though the vast majority of people were delighted with the move and the new products, and you know, eventually those products have been big successes, there was a group of users, of customers, who hated the new version. Mm-hmm. And those were the hobbyists, the people who designed things for fun or on their own, or the moonlighters who maybe made wedding invitations or um, uh, uh, menus for friends. And they were happy having very old software because they didn't need a lot of new bells and whistles. And they valued the fact that they owned it outright. It's kind of like people who drive their car into the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if I have to lease the car, I'm never going to get the value of driving a 14-year-old car that's completely paid off, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are like, I never want to drive a 14-year-old car. I never want to use six-year-old software. But for the people who, ha- who value that, Subscription isn't really a great option. It's disappointing because you're like, I wanna just own it outright and use it up. So it's really important if you're moving to subscription from another model that you're really thoughtful and you take the time to understand which of your customers are gonna be better off with the subscription and which of your customers are gonna be worse off with the subscription. And how do you wanna handle that? The people that are gonna be worse off, do you wanna let them stick with the old model? Do you wanna send them somewhere else? Or do you want to just say, you know, too bad, this is the way that we have to do business uh, to, to be successful. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. You you really have to think through what, you know, it'd be terrible if you didn't think that through and it just happened. You want to be really deliberate and thoughtful um, about what's going to happen to your customers when you switch to subscription. Interesting.
0: and And... I wonder if there's some study being done on the. I think you rightly said subscription fatigue, right? So, um, how many subscription can human take, right? So, because <laughs> they all go crisscross, they all have different different pricing strategy, they all have a business model, and they all have different expectations. So, do you from 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 your um, because you have been doing uh, you have been in this industry um, and researching about subscription? So. What's your take? Like, has there any data that that uh, for us, that for businesses that, okay, I'm not competing. So if suppose human brain can take say 20 subscription without going insane, am no. I all fighting for this 20? Or like, is there anything like that?
1: No, I mean, I don't think, I think that there is, there's research on the number of subscriptions people have. And, you know, I think it's, I think don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 18 in the United States. That includes B2B, B2C, so like, you know, what you use at work, what you use at home and other things that, you know, like insurance and that you pay on a regular basis for. Um, it's like, 18, I think the number is 18. I've i I've done experiments in rooms where I ask give people 30 seconds or a minute to write down all the things that they pay for on an ongoing basis at work and at home. Um, and, you know, people get up into 25 or 30 sometimes. Uh, I don't think that there's a limit. I think that it's more about being able to track them. Um, so we're seeing a real move toward, there's lots of um, discrete standalone apps like Truebill or Trim that allow consumers to track and in some cases negotiate their subscriptions. Mm. And a lot of banks now have that feature in their banking software like uh, Wells Fargo has a contact center, has control control tower. Uh, Wells Fargo Control Tower that allows you to keep track of all your subscriptions uh, in one place. Um, So sometimes that's hard to to track. Uh, And and then as long as they're all valuable, and as long as they're a better way of aligning value with what you pay, I I don't think there's a limit um, on the number.
0: Interesting, interesting. So um, thank you for walking us through that. So I think now we're at the tail end of the conversation. So I want to um, spend a few minutes on your journey uh, specifically so we ask all of our guests to talk about um, some of the some of the qualities that has really helped them become what they have become what uh, attributes of success so what would what would be your qualities that you that has helped you be what you are today what would you what would you say
1: yeah I mean the the first thing is that I'm a natural strategist natural consultant so I Love to develop frameworks. I love to look for patterns. Um, I love to work on. You want to get there, and right now you're here. What are your options? How do you think about it? How do you prioritize? That's how my brain works. That's what I. Those are the conversations I have with my kids. Those are the conversations I have on Saturday night with my friends. And so, you know, when I was younger, I was self conscious about it because, you know, when I went from being a strategy consultant into industry, I had a boss in product management who said, you know, you can't be designing the future for the company. That's not what we pay you for. We pay you to, you know, to move the chairs around. Like sometimes you just have to do the execution and the operations. And I was very, I guess I was embarrassed and a little bit ashamed because he was implying that I thought that I was sort of too good to do operations. And it wasn't that I thought I was too good to do operations. It's just that's not my best skill set. Like, I'm not an operator. And so here I am, you know, many, many years later. And guess what? All I do all day long is strategy. And I'm very happy. And I don't know how I'd be as an operator if I were, you know, running a team and, you know, managing, you know, an infrastructure. Uh, So that I think, I think part of that is just knowing who you are, and what what drives you, and how you think, and understanding what's valuable about that, and I think the other piece of that is just being okay with not being good at everything.
0: I, I think I, I I love that love the term natural strategist. I think that's I've never <laughs> heard this beautifully put. I think I, I remember I talking to someone uh, one of, one very close friend of mine. is he's, he's in one of the strategy consulting firms. He said, Vishal, you know um, the history. There were there were three kind of people. They were hunter, they were gatherer, and they were strategists. So, <laughs> <they> were, <laughs> I said that possible. That's possible. So, oh, yeah. uh, thank you, thank you for walking us through that. So, uh, let's talk about your favorite reads. Some of the books that has mm-hmm. that have that has inspired you, and some of the books that you are reading currently that you want to share. Because our readers are or um, our listeners and viewers they have constantly, um, requested us to, to, to request our guests, to share their reading list so, so they can follow along. So do you have something to share?
1: Yeah, you're talking about business books, I assume, not the novels that I'm doesn't reading, matter, doesn't matter.
0: It's <laughs> well, open. It's a, it's a pretty open ended question. So. Okay, so, so Michelle, I, I, was, I was an like, English
1: yeah. major, <laughs> as an English major. So I read a ton um, of almost like I read novels, and I read, you know, biographies, and I read self help, and I read business books. Um, so I'll, I'll just go to the to the business books first. The best book I've recently read is called humor, comma, seriously, humor, seriously. Um, by uh, uh, Jennifer Ocker and um, Naomi Bagadonas from Stanford. And it's basically about how to apply what they call levity into your professional life and what the impact is of looking for humor and lightening the mood um, in whatever you're doing. So that's probably the book I've, you know, most recently read that I've enjoyed. Um, I just got a copy of the new version of selling with noble purpose by Lisa McLeod and, uh, Elizabeth Lotardo. And, um, that book kind of the big idea of that book is that if your sales team and actually everybody in the company, but especially your sales team, if they're connected with the value that they're creating, for their customers, if they're they, a noble purpose, the reason that I'm selling you this is so that you, you know, the reason I'm selling you bricks is so that you can build cathedrals, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of a mindset, as opposed to I have bricks, they're this big, they're this heavy, they're made like this, they're really cheap. Um, that if you if you lead with noble purpose, which is very much you can probably tell, very much aligned with my forever transaction. If you lead with a noble purpose, it's going to be easier to close the deal. And you're going to be more motivated to do it. And you're going to have a better outcome. Your customer is going to have a better outcome because you're really focused on the value you're creating for them. So that's another business book um, that, I, that I really liked.
0: Awesome. Um, that's pretty cool. So now, last but not the least, so
1: if you want our
0: readers and listeners to take away something from this conversation, like what would that be? Like what would be your closing remark?
1: I think the closing remark is, you know, we... Vishal, you and I got into a lot of very specific details and tactics and challenging things that a company can do to completely transform. But I want to take it back and say, if there's one thing that you could do right now that is not hard, um, very simple, and that is take a step back wherever you are in your business's journey and remind yourself, what is the promise that I should be making to my customers? What is the promise they wish I was making? So for example, if I go into a store and buy a blouse, a white blouse to wear for a speech, I'm not buying the blouse. I'm buying it because I wanna look professional when I do important high stakes work events. If they were selling me feeling confident at high stakes work events instead of white blouses, I would be so much happier because that's really what motivated me to go to the store. So if every organization, if every person listening took that step back and said, what do my customers wish I was really promising? What's the full what's the full goal that they have that this product or service feeds? If you do that and then you say, what more can I do to better deliver on that promise? I guarantee a world will open up in terms of how to evolve your product, how to change your messaging, how to change the way you support the company, um. everything. You'll start to see all kinds of potential and you don't even have to move everything to a subscription price, a subscription pricing model to benefit from it. You can just start with seeing things through that long-term lens.
0: I think beautifully put uh, with that. Thank you so much, Robbie. I, I, I wish you nothing but success with the book. And I think to our listeners and viewers, so we'll put the link on the description where you can get this books. And, um, uh i think i will also leave my comments on uh i think it was pretty <laughs> as i said it's a pretty exciting book um it's um, I, I had i had a ball although I have nothing to do with pricing but still it it was fascinating to see the business model i think you did a good a good job in connecting sort of wanderer like me along the subject matter of what <laughs> what stages i am i in and and what are some of the businesses that that are in this stage are are doing about it So uh, I think kudos to you and wish you success on this book. We'll we'll be happily promoting it in our network as well. Uh And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for showing up and and sharing your journey through this.
1: Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Vishal.